from KPFK in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, and WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, WNUC in Detroit, and BikeTalk.org worldwide. This is Bike Talk. Bike Talk. Hey, Nick. Hey, Seamus. Hello, everyone. We have a special guest with us this morning. It's not Lindsay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Ronnie Islam from Chicago Bike Grid Now. Thanks so much for having me, y'all. Well, Well, welcome to Bike Talk, Ronnie. Uh, I've talked to Nick before uh, with another one of our organizers, Daniel Stryker. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for having us again. Pleasure to have you back. We are talking today about direct action or bike protests. What do you call it, Ronnie? Bike jams. Yeah. Love that. That is good. You want to tell us about bike jams? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm an organizer with Chicago Bike Grid Now, and we got started back in June of 2022. And one of the first actually what was our first direct action tactic was bike jams. And they're essentially group bike rides, kind of like critical mass, but they roll super, super slow. We go like four miles an hour. We take up the entire street and we jam up traffic. Uh, And we do this to call attention to specific issues. When we first started, it was for the bike grid proposal. And that's a specific infrastructure proposal that we've put forward in Chicago that would designate 10% of Chicago streets to be bike and pedestrian prioritized with traffic calming, um, basically a network of shared slow streets. But we've used our bike jams to call attention to other policy and infrastructure issues in Chicago, as well as just working with other neighborhood and community organizations across the city. We've done labor stuff before. How many people do you get on a ride and and how do you promote the jams? So our first bike jam was nine people. Uh, All right. So you don't you don't need that many people to get started. And our, our largest jams have had like almost 300 people join and then everything in between. They, they all look different. We promote our jams now on like social media, but we also have like a website and like a newsletter that folks can sign up at bikegridnow.org. Great. How, what's the effect of, of your bike jams? Or Have you noticed any? The bike grid didn't exist until like June, 2022. And this past winter, Chicago had a municipal election where we were electing older people as well as the new mayor. And I remember one of the other founding organizers, there are four of us, um, Nate, I was talking to him back in January and I told him, hey, Nate, you know, I don't think the bike grid and the mayoral election is going to be something that happens this year. I think it's going to be something that we, you know, are able to like make an impact on in four years time. But I was very wrong. Nine out of nine mayoral candidates verbally backed the bike grid at various mayoral forums, both transportation and not transportation related. Five of the nine formally endorsed the bike grid using our own, like we had like a form that candidates were able to like fill out. And then we had close to 70 candidates for Alder endorse the bike grid. And after the election, we had 16 new alders or current alders who have formally endorsed the bike grid and the current mayor of chicago has also endorsed the bike grid so the bike grid went from not existing in june 2022 to like fully entering the overton window in chicago politics uh this past winter and bike jams were the instrument that we used to to make it all happen that's That's great i love that Were there other pressures on candidates? Like, is it Mayor Johnson, Mayor Brandon Johnson? Yeah, so we're also part of a Safe Streets for All coalition. And it's got a couple partner organizations, for example, Better Street Chicago, Active Transportation Alliance, Southwest Collective. 
Um, and we all hosted a mayoral, mayoral forum as well that focused on transportation issues. So there's kind of like this whole ecosystem in Chicago now of folks fighting for public transportation, for bike infrastructure, pedestrian infrastructure, like plow the sidewalks. Um, that's a campaign that Better Street Chicago launched. So like lots of different folks working different angles for different campaigns, all using different tactics. And folks come to us to do bike jams. They're like, hey, we want to do a bike jam to call attention to this issue. We also do bike buses, um, which are like group commute rides to go to specific events, or we do bike buses to um, like protests and rallies and things like that. Wow. You're all very busy. Yeah. No, we do five bike buses a week now, three on Wednesday morning, and then two Friday morning. Lots of events always happening. How do they determine, how do they build out the system there? Like, what is the process? In LA, it's very complicated. There's lots of different departments. There's commissions. I'm wondering if members from your group have gotten on commissions that are part of the process of actually implementing these things. Yeah, so I would say it's also very opaque in Chicago. We don't really have any kind of like citizen advisory board or people's commissions or anything like that. There are two folks from the Safe Streets for All Coalition who are on Mayor Brandon Johnson's transportation subcommittee for his transition. Otherwise, it's kind of just like pressure from the outside. After Bike Grid got started, Chicago Department of Transportation put out a new bike plan. And if you look at the bike plan, it looks very uh, similar to what some may call a bike grid. Um, they talk a lot about networks and connectivity and residential networks um, and slow streets and greenways and that kind of thing. So most of the work that we've been doing has kind of been like external pushing into government. Very cool. You know, it sounds a lot like a lot of the things that we're doing in Los Angeles. Like, you know, you know, we have a, an organization here called um, Streets Are For Everyone, yep. Streets For All. I love this idea of a slow jam, you know, like critical mass through the city where you really promote a bike lane on this street or, you know, a neighborhood greenway through this neighborhood, something like that. And I wonder if this is something that we could add in Los Angeles, Seamus. I wonder, is it scary? I ride a lot alone. I think that people have tried to kill me in their cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so we have a safety talk that we give before all of our events. And if folks are interested in getting access to that, they can always reach out to us. Our email is grassroots at bikegridnow.org. And we're happy to share all of our resources. But what we say in that safety talk is majority of people, drivers, pedestrians, transit users, everyone are supportive of safe streets. We all want to be safe on our streets. But there is a vocal minority who do get angry with our direct action. And we always, always, always promote de-escalation um, and making sure we do not, you know, kind of escalate any kind of situation with drivers, uh, because that's not the kind of community space that we want to create. Right. But most um, folks, they, they they watch our bike jams. It's just people riding bikes really slowly. There's kids in, during our bike jams, like riding with us. Everyone's like talking. You can just like hear the chatter through the crowd. And it's just like... Uh, infectious. The joy is infectious. We ride through like neighborhoods and kind of say like, this could be a bike grid street. And this is how we should always feel when we're biking. We should always feel safety and confidence and like be comfortable riding. We also jam like specific streets. If there's like a bike lane project coming up on a street, we'll jam that street to call attention to that bike lane project. How long is a bike jam? How many miles? Or Yeah. So it's like three to four miles and we roll at four miles an hour. So it's about like 45 minutes to an hour long. 
And then we do make a point to like kind of try to end at a local business or somewhere where folks can get drinks or coffee or food or something to kind of create that community space where people can interact with each other and engage and like meet their neighbors, essentially. I think that's been one of the, the biggest things that we've created is a community of folks who want change in Chicago. And so many folks have gone out to create their own organizations or other group rides um, and just like kind of like supporting that ecosystem of like biking and community, uh, which has been incredible. Bike Talk is also in Western Massachusetts, Detroit and online. So for other places like a small town, would a slow jam make sense? Would there be versions of it in different geographical areas? Oh, yeah, definitely. Riding through neighborhood streets, whether it's in like suburbia or in the city, folks will like come out of their homes and like see what's going on and they just want to understand what's happening. And that's a great opportunity to engage with people. We always print out these like quarter sheet flyers that kind of talk about the bike grid and safe streets infrastructure that we like hand out to people. Um, it's just a really great way to engage with community, I think, and just like spread joy, regardless of the size of your city or town. Um, and it's also just like creating community space where folks can ride together. I don't see why small towns and across the entire country can't have critical mass style rides. But critical mass is like a little bit more fast paced. So it's like difficult for like children to ride along. That's the nice thing about the bike jams. It's like so slow. That's sometimes difficult to bike that slow. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I would say when we're engaging with people, it's always really easy to be against something and, you know, hate something, but people don't really engage with that. What they're really looking for is to support something. So having specific policy or legislation or a specific piece of infrastructure that you want to support is like really helpful. And that's like what people really connect with. We get a lot of pushback sometimes from folks online and also like in person where they're like, oh, this makes me kind of uncomfortable or like, oh, you're just like making more enemies than you are making friends. And I think we've like proved them all wrong this like past election season just like really shows that like direct action works and we should do more of it. Right. I think the idea of connecting the slow jam with an idea of a project is a great idea and possibly even handing out paper flyers of how you want to make this street a, a safe street for pedestrians and everybody is a great way to spread the message. Yeah. Yeah. And we've like also like invited alder people and like candidates and the mayor to our jam <laughs> and they've shown up. Do the police support it or do they? <laughs> I'm not really sure. We don't invite the police to our actions. Um, in our safety talk, we say another thing of CPD doesn't keep us safe. We keep us safe. Even if the police are there, we marshal our own intersections um, the way we think we keep ourselves safe. They're, they don't like it when we block off highways and things like that, but we do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. Yeah, of course. I'm envisioning riding with a group four miles an hour down Sunset Boulevard and just being mowed down. I mean, drivers, they're so aggressive. I've been run off the road by drivers of all types, you know, whether it's a giant truck or someone driving a kid or a group of kids or whatever. I mean, people get aggressive in their cars. That's when you're one guy. And I know exactly what you're talking about, but I've ridden in a lot of little groups you know, when you have a group of 15 or more people on bikes, cars kind of give you a little bit of space. They don't know what to do and and they see the joy on the faces of the people. And I think if there's children in the group, I think it's a great idea. I think it's something that 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 we should implement here. I've ridden with critical mass a bunch of times. And granted, that's a different kind of ride, but I think it would work. There was a, a heated discussion about whether critical mass is a good tactic because someone felt that 
upsetting drivers is not a good idea. Drivers are going to be upset about anything anyways. You know, you can't worry what they're going to be upset about. I think direct action is a great way to put it. And I think sometimes you have to do that. You just have to take over. It would be nice if we had a world where critical mass wasn't necessary, but we're not there yet. We have an interview with a volunteer with the bike oven in Los Angeles and someone from Extinction Rebellion, Los Angeles. It's the group that does direct action around environmental justice, environmental issues. And they talk about what they could do with bikes. So we have that coming up. And then first we have some interviews from bike shops. Seamus, you got some from this new shop in LA. Ole, ole. It's ole, LA. Ole, ole. It's, it's a great title. Go LA. It's a great place. And Kyle's, they're great people for real. Okay, here it is. So I'm here with Kabi Kelly. Yes. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm excellent. I'm yeah. loving your new shop. Good. Thank what you is, for what coming. Is, what is the name of your new shop? Ale Ale. Um, and so this is Kyle B. Kelly of Golden Saddle fame. Correct. Um, we, everyone was devastated when that place closed, and so it's really kind of a special day to see that you have another shop. Your last shop was such a centerpiece of the community. Thank you. Tell us about the shop. My two friends, Sean Wolf and Anna Maria Wolf, uh, were moving from New York. They own Sun and Air and King Cog out there, and they wanted to open up a bike shop. So I thought, no better time than now to welcome them to Los Angeles and do a shop together. And so Golden Saddle was also like a, I mean, it was a starting point for a lot of people to get into cycling, but mm-hmm. also like a, a starting point on actually yeah. like specific rides that people, groups would do. Are there groups that are going to be centered here and, and that, you know, rides that will emanate from here? For sure. I mean, probably even a little more so. Uh, we'll probably actually be a middle place for rides these days because we are, we are on the way from kind of like the west side to the mountains. It'll be a middle spot, a meeting spot, or an ending spot for sure. We have an amazing restaurant next to us that I think tons of people will be going to all the time. They have a Michelada stand out today, welcoming everybody. I just, so. had, I just had about a gallon of watermelon agua yeah. fresca. Where do you seat yourself in sort of the bike advocacy spectrum? A lot of people look up to you yeah. in terms of like how they approach riding. And there's a broad spectrum of how people approach cycling. And where, where do you see yourself? First off, I would not call myself an advocate because I'm just on the streets doing it. And my goal is not to change things through the powers above. My goal is to change things with individuals Um, teaching them how to be safe on the roads and teaching them how to feel confident and comfortable in Los Angeles in general. There's too much tape to get through once you go higher up. So I've just decided to dedicate my riding life to helping people on the ground. I love that. Get more comfortable and confident in the streets. You helped me. I mean, honestly, I I wouldn't be riding if it hadn't been for Golden Saddle. So thank you. No, and thank you. Thank you for believing in us. Because, you know, the cycling industry has made fun cycling not a thing for the longest time yeah. and you know that was one thing with golden south cycling we just tried to make cycling fun for people again totally you i know? really think that's what you, you've accomplished that goal yeah i mean honestly you guys you guys are where the fun is so yeah yeah and i mean a lot of people have have kind of followed in our footsteps with having fun you know um, there's also a lot of people faking the funk when it comes to fun too so you know <laughs> 
Any any last things you want to say? Uh, um, just that I love you all. Thanks, Los Angeles, for welcoming me as one of your own. And, uh, you know, I'm not from here, but I got here as soon as I could. Oh, my God. I've uh, been here almost 20 years now, and I don't plan on going anywhere. You're an Angelino. Cool. <laughs> thank you, Kyle. Of course. Thank you. And that was Kyle from formerly Golden Saddle, now New Shop. LA, LA. I loved Golden Saddle. I was really sorry to see that go. I went there at the very end when they were closing the shop again and uh, I, know, I was so sad, sad to see that one go it was a big part of how I got um into cycling hey Seamus where is it it's on York in Highland Park so for anybody who wants to visit Los Angeles nice place to visit northeast LA go to LA LA and then we also have an interview with the co-owner Sean Wolf. he has some shops in Brooklyn um, and he talks about some of the differences between being a cyclist in L.A. as opposed to New York a little bit. Oh, that's interesting. Let's hear that. Hello again, everybody. I'm here with Sean Wolf, the co-owner mm-hmm. of L.A. L.A. Can you talk about sort of the shops you've owned or that you currently own? Because I know you are sort of bi-coastal. Me and my wife, we still own um, King Cog and Sun and Air in Brooklyn, New York. We moved here in January in hopes for a little better life in California. Um, We've got two young children, so we decided a bit of a change of scenery was on the horizon for us. Do you have any sort of sense of the differences in terms of bike community and, and, and what it looks like here and what it looks like there? The big difference that I see is just the type of riding that you get here in LA is, it's so broad. There's a little bit of everything, you know, for everybody. Um, so you can kind of find your groups and find your rides um, where New York doesn't have quite the broad spectrum of riding quite accessibly as L.A. has. You can kind of find your group wherever you want to go. You can find a group, which, which is really cool. Like what are the different kinds? Mountain biking, road riding, gravel riding, track bikes. There's communities within all of these subcultures of the bike. It's really cool to be able to hop on different rides every day of the week and you can be riding with a totally different group on a totally different bike. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, New York's a little limited. You, you get the park riding and road riding. You got the full track bike community, which is bustling in New York. And to go mountain biking, you really got to work. You got to have a car. You really got to work for it. You can definitely take the train, but it's not quite as accessible. You got fewer options. Do you see yourself as a bike advocate? Oh, I, I, I've been a, I want to say a lifetime uh, cyclist. You know, I s- started riding BMX really young. We lived in a rural part of Indiana, and, and it's kind of all I had to do when I was a kid is growing up riding bikes in the neighborhood. And I raced BMX as a kid, and that really got me hooked in racing. You know, I found music at some point and kind of got away from the bikes and started working in body shops and decided that wasn't what I wanted to do and, and found a job at a bike shop and delivering sandwiches in Indianapolis uh, on, on a bike. And that got me right back into it, and I kind of fell head over heels in the bike again and it's kind of taken me from there i mean i've been in a bike shop ever since thank you for talking to us today is there any kind of last things you'd like to say to bike communities across the country i'll just look out for each other you know it's not that serious people need to really just be kind to each other a little more forgiving and understanding i love that thank you no problem that was sean wolf if you are a biker, it's it's great to have connections with those small shops. Those people are real supporters of the movement. And we have one more from LA, LA. Yes, Ida. She's a, a neighborhood council member from Los Files. Um, she is a bike advocate. She's an attorney at, at Legal Aid. 
but she she definitely has a good platform to advocate for um, things like Healthy Streets, like the Healthy Streets Initiative. The Healthy Streets LA Initiative, which is going to be on the ballot to require the city to implement its mobility plan every time they repave a street. So that's good to know. Yeah. Here's that. I'm here with Ida Ashuri of the Los Files Neighborhood Council and an attorney at Legal Aid, a bike advocate. Hi, Ida. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, so we're here at the new bike shop today. What is it called again? I keep forgetting the name. Ale Ale. Ole Ale. Ale Ale, like the French word. Ale Ale. Ale Ale. <laughs> Kyle's new bike shop that has appeared in Highland Park. And Coastal. And Coastal. <laughs> How do you feel about the new uh, bike shop? I'm excited about it. I wish it was closer to me, but you know, you can't get everything. But I think it's amazing. And Kyle and Sean are both really reputable in the field. And it's already looking really great. And it's a really great location. And I'm just stoked also that they're supporting um, this community as well. Do you consider yourself a bike advocate? Yes. And how did you get into being a bike advocate? I would probably just say mobility justice advocate. And I think I've always been a political activist since I was young. But really, um, the pandemic, when I started riding my bike, it opened my eyes up to what the struggles of cyclists were. I've always been an advocate for public transportation, walking and infrastructure, and just by way also cyclists. But it made me a much more stronger advocate by seeing that uh, world from that lens. Mm -hmm. And also being a victim of, you know, violence on the streets myself. Um, it's bit made me much more passionate about that issue. A victim of violence? Were you on your bike? Yeah, just crazy drivers that try to run you off your road mm -hmm. or just, you know, that they drive illegally, you know, running stop signs or driving on the wrong side of the road, speeding, you know, putting our lives in danger and everybody else. Yeah, people do get really aggressive. It is yeah. scary. To that end, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the Healthy Streets Initiative and, and where you are at in terms of supporting it and what you think of it? Yeah, I actually helped gather signatures at different bike events for this initiative, and I broadly support it. I understand there's a lot of things can also can be improved. Um, you know, it, it could definitely target more um, underprivileged areas in Los Angeles and have a better framework in terms of how to implement it. But I think that this is a really, really strong tool, and things can actually be done by the city on the back end once this measure passes to fix any of those things and plug up those holes. But having our voices heard in the ballot box, it's a strong measure to really improve things. We've had so many propositions that just pass funding, but there's nothing binding the city to do anything with this funding. And so we often see the funding be used just to expand roads or freeways and things like that. But this actually forces them into a hole where they have to try to look and see how they can improve the city for um, active mobility and infrastructure. Can you kind of describe what the Healthy Streets Initiative is just generally? Actually, the city of Los Angeles already voted and passed a mobility plan in LA, which basically is a mobility plan requiring certain amount of bike lanes and, and just street changes that would make the city more uh, friendly to all forms of transportation. However, there's no requirement that it be implemented. So only 3% of it has been implemented throughout the city. So this measure requires that every time a street is repaved, that they actually have to implement a portion of the mobility plan. That's already been passed by the city of Los Angeles, by all the council members. If that mobility plan says that there's a bike lane on that street, then they have to put a bike lane in on that street when it gets repaved. That's a beautiful thing. If you ask me, 
Um, Exquisite. Yeah. So you are on the Los Feliz Neighborhood Council. Is that the type of body that could vote to support the Healthy Streets Initiative? You can always vote to support it when it gets on the ballot. But also, as a neighborhood council, you can always pass CIS letters, which are letters that append to any council file and in your support of Healthy Streets as well. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Ida. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Bike as much as you can and be safe out there, everybody. That was Ida Ashuri, neighborhood council person for Los Feliz. Feliz. Yeah. Very nice area. Ida mentioned Healthy Streets, the initiative to restripe a street in accordance with the city's mobility plan every time they repave it. It'll be on the ballot. This next interview, we have Joe Borfo, who's a volunteer with Bike Oven, a DIY co-op for bikes, and Josh Goldstein from Extinction Rebellion Los Angeles, which is the group that does direct actions in support of environmental causes. The other day I met Joe at a really wonderful community gathering of people who were in the biking and uh, bike activism space. I basically just asked how Extinction Rebellion Los Angeles might be of service and our kind of creative protest, our kind of coalition building, our kind of nonviolent direct action might be of service. I had in my mind at the moment, many things are going on in Europe using bike protest. There was the amazing protest at the Shaipol airport, actually, where Greenpeace and a bunch of other local activists took over the entire airstrip with over 50 or 60 bicycles riding all around so the airplanes couldn't take off. So they used the bicycles as part of the protest, but obviously also as an expression about you know what kind of transportation really should be happening uh, that isn't destructive. Another example is Just Stop Oil in London has been using getting together with a bunch of bikes in some roads and just slow biking down roadways, causing disruption to the cars there, but, you know, to make their demands that, you know, automobiles and an oil-based economy really have to ramp down at a very rapid pace. And at the same time, you know, making this expression of what, what cities should be for, which is, is safe biking. So I was, I basically went to this, uh, event with lots of folks and just asked, what do people envision as a way to get to a better biking world using modes of protest? My name's Reverend Joe Borfo. I am a regular bike commuter, bike mechanic. The reason why I'm speaking is I wanted to get more vocal and participate more in changing things for bike safety and equality on the streets. I am a father and I ride regularly and I feel like I have my life in my hands every morning. I feel like that shouldn't be the case. I had the opportunity to travel and I visited other cities and saw that it's not the same everywhere else. And I thought we could be more like that. And I wanted to figure out how to do that. When I had visited Amsterdam, my mind was blown on how the bike infrastructure worked and how safe it was. And I have relatives who live there who told me that it wasn't always like this. That really got me thinking that not only was it that their infrastructure is different, but the rules on the road on how cars treat people that are pedestrians and cyclists are are a lot different. And that happened in, I believe, the early 70s. But they didn't get there just by chance. 
people were dying uh, on the streets uh, because of the rise of car culture. Children were dying, and people stood in the streets, blocked traffic, and made a ruckus until something finally changed. I've always admired people who do protests and stand up for environmental rights and, and things like that, but I always felt like maybe they're kind of on the fringe and, and not going to make much of a difference. But my mind is starting to change to realize that we all need to unify uh, in solidarity to focus on the vision that we all want to see in our city. And mine is to be a safer cycling and pedestrian-friendly city, and it is possible. Other cities have proven that. The main point that changed were the rules of the road, that in certain inner-city streets, cars have less rights than the cyclists and the pedestrians, that they are guests on the streets. There are separated bike paths and lanes and, and, and roads and cycle paths, but uh, in the inner streets, they have to act like guests. And I think that's something we can do in Los Angeles. There are many different parts of Los Angeles, suburbia and uh, more urban areas, but they can be sections that can be changed with their infrastructure. But the infrastructure changes don't really work unless the rules of the road change. And that's the point I want to keep driving because that's what made the change in Amsterdam. They were fortunate to have a new leadership prime minister that favored the changes and so they were lucky to to be able to make those great changes maybe we'll be in that position again but we need to make a stink we need to get people on the same page and talk about uh, ways to achieve a vision and by doing that is showing places where it works so my question for you, Joe, as somebody who comes new to the bike space for politics is around what issues, what would be the, the a mobilization strategy? If we could bring people together and get out onto the street and, and make a stink or make a, a party um, to get something done and move something forward, what would be the things to mobilize around? The Healthy Streets Initiative, and that's a bill that will be on the ballot in March. And what this is going to do is hold the city accountable for what they have promised to do for I don't know how many years, but the mobility plan promised a certain number of changes to the infrastructure. And from my understanding, only a very small percentage has been accomplished. This will be a bill that will motivate the city to uh, follow up on their promise. And I think this is a great agenda for us to, to pursue because uh, it's tangible and it, it will be effective. And that's probably our, our number one thing we should focus on before next year. From my understanding, the Healthy Streets Initiative is a, is a great idea, which is basically to hold the city accountable to do what its law already says it needs to do in the mobility plan. Uh, the mobility plan says that uh, there should be bike lanes and bus lanes put in. And the idea is that anytime there's going to be any uh, changes to the road and construction and painting of new lines, that the city will be mandated that it has to then implement 
the mobility plan, which it has been sitting on its hands and not doing. And that will change the conversation from, you know, what is to be done or, or should something be done to how do we do it? You know, it's not going to be, oh, should we put in a bike lane? It's like, we must put in a bike lane. Now the question is, how do we take out parking or do we take out a, a third lane for, for turns or whatever? But it, it's going to force the city's hand to actually live up to its uh, mobility plan, which seems like a great idea so that we don't have to keep complaining to the, you know, the city council every time they fail to live up to what they're doing. We can try to, you know, force them to be accountable. I guess my question to you, Joe, is, you know, is this Healthy Streets Initiative, do you feel like people are, are getting a sense that this is really happening? Is there a big movement? If we need to get this passed against all kinds of opposition in the city where so many people are wedded to their cars and will oppose this kind of stuff, you know, do we feel like we have a strong enough movement to get this thing to happen? And and if not, what kinds of things maybe do you think, uh, imagine we would be doing? The people I talk to in my bike circles, um, they're very excited to hear about it, but they've never heard about it before. Or if they have, they don't know very much about it. So I feel like there's not enough outreach going on uh, to get us ready uh, to tell people to vote for it. I'm not quite sure how those political tactics work, but I know that we need to do something to promote more awareness within our groups that will favor this. I am feeling like a lot of people are going to hear this and tell me I'm doing it wrong by publicly announcing healthy streets, but I feel like we need to. We need to uh, really uh, rally everyone in solidarity about it. Despite whatever opposition comes, I believe we have the upper hand. I mean, we're talking about safe streets. We're talking about people's lives. W what's the argument? Oh, I want to drive faster? Okay, I don't get it. Fine, let, let them come. Let's put up a fight. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I've been waiting to see changes happen in Los Angeles so long. I've seen small changes over the last 15, 20 years. And that's because we've been pounding at City Council and slow changes have been happening. This mobility plan finally came about, but we haven't seen it to fruition. I want my kids to be able to see a city that's transformed like a New Amsterdam, like a Netherlands. I think we can do that. I want at least my kids to have the ability to experience that. And... I'm motivated to uh, bring other people to action. We need to hit the groups that this pertains to. Uh, maybe bike shops. Maybe there's so many group rides in LA. There's bike races. There's online bicycle uh, groups. We should be talking about this a lot. And if I'm mistaken, I'm hoping somebody will stand up and tell me, no, we should be doing it this way instead. And that's also why I want to talk to you, Josh, is because you know about ways of protesting and what's worked and what hasn't what can we do that's reasonable and and make change in uh bike safety and uh, and pedestrian safety in los angeles i don't have an answer to that question myself but i think the you know the the models that groups like extinction rebellion which is a very horizontally organized built to kind of network and brainstorm and work both inside and outside the system um, and really discuss this stuff is, is, I think, a good model to go on. People have been amassing for night rides and other kinds of rides in L.A. for, you know, a, quite a while now, and it's had a, an incredibly positive effect on 
the city and we've, you know, and it's created real change here. People haven't necessarily seen what they were doing as political. And yet what they were doing was political, right? I mean, in this city to get on a bike is a political act. I guess the question is, what kind of tactics make sense? At what point do we want to make it clear when we get on a bike? Yeah, this is a political act, and I want to get in your face with this because I want a safe life for my kids, and I want a safe planet where the sea level is not rising and Long Beach isn't getting flooded anymore, um, and I can breathe the air and things aren't on fire, and all of those things are connected. And the, the act of getting on a bike to do your daily, you know, grocery shopping and chores and living in a city that way can be an inspirational and it's, you know, energizing way of, of creating that change. To me, as somebody who's just coming to the bike activist world, I'm actually incredibly impressed with how everyone sees how the pieces are all connected, that you're talking about not just the infrastructure, but also housing and justice and parking and and legal structures like you were just talking about, Joe, that legally we should be privileging bikes and pedestrians over cars which and trucks, which are frigging death machines, right? And they're, they're not just killing the planet, they kill people on a regular basis and they can do it with generally, a, you know, kind of impunity and without having to be extremely cautious of the people, you know, who are traveling in a much safer and more sustainable, reasonable way. I'm really interested in this idea of having a, a community conversation, which is hard in LA because it's big and we're all spread out and we have trouble getting together sometimes but you know what are the tactics that make sense for this movement to get things like healthy streets to happen and even beyond that to get the vision that you've got joe of what this city really should be that healthy streets is you know a small step forward towards i think we need to be collectively talking to each other about this uh more uh, all the different advocacy groups need to get together more uh, all the different cycling groups need to talk about this more. A lot of people are afraid to be political, but like you said, getting on a bike is a political act. And I feel like we need to create a collective vision of what we want to see in Los Angeles. And if we all share our ideas, it's not just me talking about this. I want other people to give their ideas about how we can actively do something. You know, maybe somebody will have a great idea like every time someone dies from a hit and run, I feel sad and mad, but it's like nothing's being done about it. Yeah, we'll put up a ghost bike here and there, but I feel like even that doesn't even get interpreted what that means. It, we need to be standing on the streets with signs saying somebody died here. Like we were talking about Amsterdam, there was a rise of deaths in the 70s from the increasing car culture and kids were dying on the streets mothers had were fed up they would stand holding hands blocking traffic there was you know contention with the the drivers and everything but this got so much attention that change happened so i'm not saying that exactly is what we need to do but we need that level of commitment and motivation and unity across the board i mean we're we're talking about people's lives pedestrians and cyclists alike uh, we need to come together more and now's the time there's always you know attention around the possibility of doing disruptive activism right i mean the downside that some people point to and get, a, get concerned about is that you know you can make 
enemies, people can find what you do to be really in their face and, and get in their way and maybe maybe lose the some of the public support. On the other side, though, right, disruptive activism can also be incredibly inspiring. At the right time and the right place, it can get a lot done. You know, for example, I was talking about the Shypole protest with the folks on bikes in the airport. That airport no longer has private flights after that. That was the demand of that action, and that's what changed. You know, and we know throughout history that nonviolent direct action and collective action can get some big things done, and it just it changes people's perception of reality and what's possible, right? And that's part of what the disruption's about. You can do great things with incremental change. You can do great things working with the system, changing the laws. The healthy streets will probably be a fantastic thing if we can get that passed. But it's a slower process than the sort of wake-up call that disruptive activism can bring um, that really inspires people to say, oh, wow, yeah, we could envision the city totally different. I could envision my life differently. I could take action that makes for bigger change or makes for a more radical re-envisioning of the world um, and really confronts the pain that people are facing and calls it out and calls out social justice a little bit more directly as necessity. You know, if our conversation is a way of, of just raising that question and whether this, you know, there's time for uh, a mix of tactics and bringing uh, more of the street in to the uh, conversation and, and this kind of nonviolent direct action more in, that I think that's great. And I'm sure uh, folks in Extinction Rebellion LA and other groups would really welcome to this conversation. Well, I just want to say, Josh, that I'm really glad I met you and have had a chance to talk about this. And I hope that we can inspire others and make some changes. It makes me feel a little bit more positive about, you know, what I'm doing and what our visions are. I'm, I'm tired of feeling like, you know, it's pointless. I think it's time for us to uh, work together. And, and I hope other people can engage in conversation with each other and, and action as well. That was Joe and Josh on uh, Direct Actions. I really like this idea of do-it-yourself advocacy and you know creating your own bike lanes. If there's a street that needs a bike lane, you go out there and you've seen pictures of other cities where people protect the bike lane with actual people and they stand there to make a statement and say, we're going to protect the children riding to school or the people riding through this section of road with actual people. It's a do-it-yourself bike lane. Tactical urbanism is another word for like DIY bike infrastructure that's made of materials instead of people. But we have an interview with a writer for the Daily Beast who wrote an article called Vigilantes Might Have Planted That Speed Bump You Just Hit, Tony Ho Tran. (laughs) And it's about some groups that are taking infrastructure into their own hands. It's like the opposite of the Monkey Ranch Gang. They would tear up infrastructure. We're putting it in. Yeah. Here's this interview with Tony Ho Tran, deputy editor of innovation at the Daily Beast, who deputy. wrote the article, Vigilantes Might Have Planted That Speed Bump You Just Hit. Make the gorilla bike activists installing bootleg infrastructure for safer streets. Thank you for this article. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much for reading. I really appreciate that. It really is an interesting direction. People are fed up. I know we're fed up with the slow pace of change when you go through bureaucracies to improve the street infrastructure. Here's are some people who are taking it in their own hands. You wanna tell us about it? Yeah, so this story actually, I came across it after I stumbled upon the People's C. Twitter page and I realized that they were 
a collective that was working towards doing sort of these bootleg guerrilla traffic infrastructure projects without the explicit permission of the city in order to help, you know, ensure safer street infrastructure for both pedestrians and cyclists. And I thought that was such a novel way of approaching what I think we all can agree is a gross problem in cities like Chicago, L.A., New York City to address safe infrastructure for pedestrians. You know, these are cities and municipalities that clearly favor cars over human bodies. And so I thought it was just a, an interesting way to sort of approach this challenge, a really kind of bootstrappy, very scrappy kind of way to fight back against this in, in a very cool, civil, disobedient manner. And so, yeah, I was able to fall in uh, and shadow the people see that, as it were, during one of their projects uh, a few few weeks ago. And um, yeah, I, I was also able to interview folks over at Crosswalk Collective in LA. They work towards very similar measures as well, uh, more specifically on painting crosswalks on intersections that need it. And yeah, it's, it really opened my eyes to sort of um, uh, the different ways that activists are uh, approaching and addressing these challenges when cities won't. But I love the way you describe meeting someone from People's CEDA. It's a little scary. Uh, it was, a, you know, I, I'm going to be completely honest. It felt like really uh, clandestine and almost shadowy noir kind of deal. And in a lot of ways, it was like that. But spending time with them at the end of the day, what I realized is that it was just kind of a group of the, I, I would lovingly refer to as, a, as cycling nerds. That, that's kind of what I am, too. I, I'm really big in bicycling in Chicago. And um, they're just people who are really passionate about protecting others, protecting themselves and ensuring safer infrastructure for the city at large. But that, uh, that's all to say it was kind of scary, uh, as you probably saw in the article. Well, it makes me think of um, Elf, Earth Liberation Front or something like that from the 90s, which I thought was great. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. You know, the, the things that they're doing aren't exactly legal, strictly speaking, right. but the manner of civil disobedient that it gets the message across very effectively. And uh, frankly, a very kind of like really kind of cool manner, I, I would say. Yeah. I mean, in Los Angeles, the Crosswalk Collective, LADOT will come and remove those. Anything like that is generally expensive. So I could see why you would want it to be clandestine and you wouldn't want to be identified as you would, you could be on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's part of the issue, right? Like some of these things that they're installing are very needed, like a speed bump in an alley that has like children and families and pets walking across it each and every day that people speed through anyway. These things are very necessary. And yet the city will instead, you know, find the people who are trying to fix this problem yeah. uh, and also remove the infrastructure that they did install to solve this need in these streets. It's a huge issue. And, you know, it's a waste of resources in a certain respect as well for these cities to go out, go out and remove a crosswalk or remove a, a street calming barrier or a barrier for a bike lane. It is completely unnecessary. In California, if there's a corner, there is if there's something called an invisible crosswalk. So people should be able to paint those crosswalks without repercussions. You, you should almost be thanked. Really? They're doing the job that the city should be doing for the mm -hmm. city. Yeah. And in your article, you talk about cars being the number one killer of children. From what the Crosswalk Collective was saying, um, that is definitely the case in L.A., especially a very car centric culture that L.A. has. You know, like to get anywhere in L.A., they don't necessarily have the public transit system that Chicago has. And, you know, the CTA, as I'm sure a lot of you are well aware, like also has its own kind of needs and failures, but it's much better than where L.A. is. So. 
if you need to get around in LA, you know, ultimately what you're going to need is a car. Like people talk about all the time, like how highways are kind of a culture in and of itself. You know, people talk about the different highways and interstates they travel down. So it's a very car centric culture. So it doesn't surprise me at all that that's the number one killers of children and pedestrians um, within a place like Los Angeles. Uh, in Chicago, it's still very high, though. And not only is it high, but it's a very worrying trend of growth within traffic fatalities towards pedestrians and cyclists. Since 2019 and on, we've only ever seen a rise in traffic-related fatalities with regards to pedestrians and cyclists. So uh, I, I can't say whether or not it is the number one killer of children and pedestrians in Chicago, but it wouldn't surprise me if it is. Another interview in the same show that, that you're on here is about Extinction Rebellion and how they can turn their direct action tactics to safe streets using bikes. What do you think about this? Do you call it tactical urbanism? That seems like a good enough term for it. I've never heard of that term before, but it seems like kind of perfect summation of what these groups are trying to do. Any way that we can sort of disrupt the flow of the way things are going now, which is to say a bad direction is ultimately a good way to call attention to these failures within the city and the needs that the city needs to address within these disparate communities. Because, you know, after all, like when we talk about who gets harmed when it comes to traffic related fatalities, it's easy to sort of look at it and just say like it's pedestrians, but no, it's, it's frequently it's people of color. It's people who aren't able-bodied. It's children. It's people who get disproportionately impacted by a lot of failures within society itself each and every single day but especially when it comes to something like traffic fatalities. Unhomed people within Los Angeles get drastically impacted by traffic fatalities when compared to people who are housed. Any way that we can directly disrupt the system and you know cause the city and its officials to feel a little bit uncomfortable, it's the only way they'll notice it. Tactical urbanism, I think, is a very effective way to go about it. You can make speed bumps, you can make crosswalks. What else can you do? When I fell in with the folks at the People See Dot, what they worked on that night happened to be a traffic calming barrier, which is something I'd never really thought of before. But, you know, it's something that you definitely see on the streets occasionally. They're just barriers that kind of funnel the traffic to go into a certain direction or a certain area. It doesn't necessarily stop the flow of traffic at all, but it's enough to slow it down. If you're a driver and you're driving down the street and you see a group of cinder blocks to your right, you're going to slow down immediately. You're going to think twice before you make a right or a left turn because uh, you don't want your car to be hurt. And measures like that, especially in neighborhoods that contain a lot of families, contain a lot of children and pets and, and people who are you know, liable to run around and play in the street and, and run across the street, those are life-saving measures. If you can cause a driver to even spend a few seconds thinking about how they're going to approach an intersection, how they're going to approach a turn, that's enough of a slowdown to increase reaction time in such a manner that it could save lives. That was one instance that I saw. I noticed that they also had a lot of projects like setting up makeshift bollards out of um, uh, cinder blocks to block uh, <laughs> the flow of traffic onto places like the Lakefront Trail, where cars shouldn't be driving down, but often are caught driving down. It seems to be like one of those things that seems to, you know, herald in the summer whenever we see someone driving down Lakefront Trail, you know, amidst all the cyclists and pedestrians, whatever you can really conceive of as traffic infrastructure, you know, there's, there's probably a way that these groups like the people see that have gone about and implemented it somewhere in the city. Hey, Tony, in your article, you have one anecdote where a neighbor comes up to the PC dot group putting in an installation and he's kind of angry about it. I'm curious, what is the overall feeling from the neighbors when these things go up? Did you, did you get a sense of that? 
That's a great question. And, you know, the, the funny thing was, I was kind of on the lookout for some somebody like that to sort of cause a stink and uh, uh, sort of disrupt what was happening with people see that, you know, and beforehand, the, the person who I had talked to at the people see that had told me that that wasn't really an issue. For the most part, the community is incredibly receptive to what the people see that is trying to do. Because, you know, when you think about it, if you have a family and you have kids, you want your family and your kids to be safe. Why would you put up a, a fuss about them putting up a traffic calming structure or a speed bump or what have you? That night, though, um, this man seemed to take a lot of issue with what the people CDOT was doing. I would later learn that I believe that man had worked in the government uh, and I believe at the local alderman's office in some manner. So he might have like seen it as sort of an attack on like his job or like, what he used to do in the city. Right. But for the most part, though, and this is from my understanding of speaking to the people see that and speaking to Crosswalk Collective in L.A., is that people are very receptive to this. It's the people who reach out to them and tell them, hey, I need a speed bump here or, hey, I need my bike lane to be protected in my local neighborhood. Can you come in and do a project and installation? It's the people of the community who are asking them to do these things. Right. It's not necessarily the people see it out or crosswalk collective coming in and doing it willy-nilly, just arbitrarily. Like, no, they get input from the city beforehand. And the people see that even made it a point to include a survey on a sign that they posted up at the site. Each of their projects also includes these surveys. So there's plenty of input from the community. And, you know, I think that's the right way to go about it. You know, that being said, I do understand this other view that like, you know, not necessarily everyone in the community, not necessarily everyone in the neighborhood signs off on what they're doing. But ultimately, you know, it's a question of like, how many people is this helping at the end of the day? You know, how many lives could this possibly save at the end of the day? And if you talk to someone like people see that someone who might have been even impacted by traffic fatality uh, before, they might have an opinion on what they're doing is ultimately for the greater good. And did they give you an, an idea about how long some of these installations remain in place before the city takes them away or does the city take them away? Yeah, most of the the sad fact is, you know, these these are just temporary at the end of the day. The city does eventually come by and take them down. Typically, they last a lot longer than the installation that I saw. Um, the night I went there, they had left the scene and I came back to the the side of the project five minutes later and everything was taken down. And I assume it was because of that angry man who came and confronted the people CDOT as they were making the installation. Most of these things, they remain up for a while, if not a few hours, then a few days, but it's not always permanent. You know, the city eventually does catch on. The alderman's office does come by, they flag it and they take it down. They are up for a few days though. And, you know, when it comes to traffic fatalities, sometimes that few days, those few hours, you know, it's a matter of life and death and it could very yeah. well indeed save lives. I've heard that in some places, the Department of Transportation will make the improvements that were made using guerrilla tactics or tactical urbanism. Yeah, that's part of the reason they do this. You know, if you install a speed bump and the, the city realizes like, oh, wait, we do need a speed bump there. They'll come by and they'll install a real one. That's kind of the goal at the end of the day, to call attention right. to these sort of needs and the city hopefully takes action. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tony, from the Daily Beast for your article and for coming on Bike Talk. Hey, I really appreciate it, you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony. Imagine going to jail for painting a crosswalk. For, yeah, for saving in? a life, right? What yeah. are you in for? <laughs> <laughs> I, put a, uh, I put a speed bump on Maltman. Yeah. <laughs> That's like having to go sit on the Group W bench, right? That's from Alice's Restaurant, the famous song by Arlo Guthrie. I was also thinking about Cool Hand Luke. He goes to jail for cutting the 
parking meters parking meter heads off right <laughs> what we yeah. have here is a failure what to we've communicate. got here is failure to communicate some men you just can't reach so you get what we had here last week which is the way he wants it well he gets it <laughs> well, that's a great line classic movie sometimes government works slow and it works slow on purpose but when government is working slow and our streets are as dangerous as they are, people are dying. So sometimes we need, as advocates, we need to take the road back. And if that's vigilantism and putting out infrastructure, DIY bike lanes or, or bike humps, that's good. We all can be vigilantes then. Bike vigilante. The first time I saw that, it came from a, a right-wing tabloid that was trying to make people on bikes who record aggressive vehicles seem like... Like we're the ones that are doing something wrong. If anything, we're owning the word vigilante, but it came from the bike lash. Well, let's take it back. Who was it, Nick, in the interview a couple of weeks ago where they, it was Josh Cohen, where he talked about car murders. You know, you, you were murdered by a car and that's how we used to look at it. But now it's changed that it, it's an accident. And, you know, I didn't see the person or whatever. So right. sometimes we have to take direct action. Lobbying efforts on behalf of the car industry worked to change the language. Right. I think a jaywalker, you're at fault. Yep. And that is very much uh, baked in. I think it even it goes to the, the car commercials. You see people driving around their, their Honda Civics in, down, in an empty downtown Los Angeles. And they're right. like, they're trying to drive fast. They're trying to drive freely. And it's dangerous. Well, good show today. I think we actually stayed on a theme for the most part. Success. Yeah. And if you want a Bike Talk t-shirt, just like the one we're going to send to Tony Hotran from the Daily Beast, you can support Bike Talk online at biketalk.org. But you'll have to email us and tell us you did it. How do people support the show, Nick? Good question. We have a Patreon account. And where do they go to do that? Biketalk.org. Click on, on support through um, Patreon or what? Yeah. Then maybe we'll be able to start doing our bike talk direct actions, our bike talk slow jams, tactical right. urbanism, put up some crosswalks. I think the most important thing in a city like Los Angeles is protected bike lanes. And I think that's probably true in Detroit and Western Massachusetts also. This idea of, of separating a bike lane from moving traffic just by a strip of paint doesn't seem safe to me. If you're listening, please share with us what you're doing to create your vigilante infrastructure. And be safe out there. And that was Bike Talk. If you have a story, a tip, or a topic, head over to biketalk.org and send us a message. Talk again next week.